Matthew chapter 7. We'll continue in our series in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at these, these verses, verses 7 through 12. And it reads as follows. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. For who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil, if you, have, uh, if you feel comfortable, so could that word evil. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I remember it as if it, it was yesterday. Um, grew up in a great city of Detroit, Michigan. And in Detroit, um, there was a lot of poverty um, and a lot of things that I saw that honestly I wish I wouldn't have saw, seen as a young boy. But there, are some good, there were some good experiences. And one of those good experiences came in a person. A person, her name was uh, Renee Fluker. And you see, Renee was the mother of my best friend since preschool. His name was Jason Malone. And Jason and I were, as we said, blood brothers. Um, we actually, when we were about six years old, cut our, pricked our, well, we didn't cut, we pricked our fingers to get blood out of our thumbs and put it together to signify what I'm telling you, that we are blood brothers. So uh, that, that is a fat, true, true statement that we made possible as young six-year-olds. One of the greatest things that Renee did for me as growing up was that she always invited me to something new. She was always exploring and showing me different things that were new, something that was outside of my comfort zone, some things that I just probably never would have seen myself. One of those things was often going to restaurants. She would take us to nice restaurants out in the suburbs, um, outside of the Detroit city limits, and just expose us to uh, seafood and to Caribbean food and to soul food and all these other things. You see, as a young child, I didn't quite um, appreciate what was happening to me um, through Renee and how God was using Renee in my life. But as I got older, I've come to appreciate the invitation that she extended to me. You see, because here's the fact that I want us to, sh- to know today. It's, it's not only important to receive an invitation, but it's even more important to know who has truly invited you. The person who has invited you, not just the invitation, not just the opportunity to do things or to be in a certain place or to be in a certain presence before a certain someone. It's important to know the person who has invited you. In today's text, we see Jesus helping us to see the person who has invited us with these commands. And the person is God. God is infinitely strong, meaning that he can do whatever he pleases that he should do. Our God, he's infinitely righteous, means, meaning that he knows not only, um, not only can he do all things, but he knows what ought to be done in every single situation of life. And he only does what is right within, those, within that situation. Not only is he infinitely strong and infinitely, infinitely righteous, but he's also infinitely good, 
meaning that everything that he does is perfectly good and is free from any evil desire or any hint of an evil desire or evil intent. He is infinitely wise, meaning that he perfectly knows the difference between right and wrong. And lastly, but certainly not least, he is infinitely loving, meaning that he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as as high as it can be. As we enter this text and as we enter this this story, I have three things that I hope will come out of this. The first thing is simply this. I hope, as we've been saying from the very beginning um, of our time together, going through this series through Matthew and the Sermons of the Mount, I hope and I pray that we would have a renewed vision of God. Because as as we've said time and time again, our vision of God truly determines our pursuit of him. Remember what it said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I pray that we will regain a right vision of who God is. The second thing I hope through reading through the text today was that you will grow in your love and grow in your appreciation and grow in your desire for God himself. I I pray that we will grow to love the giver and not just the gifts that he gives us. To see the person behind the things that he gives us and not just look for the things, but look for the person who gives us the things. Amen? Beatitudes puts it this way. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And lastly, and probably most importantly, I hope that God will resurrect some dead prayers, some dead and dormant prayers in our lives. There have been some things in our lives. There have been some people in our lives, there have been some situations in our lives that we've allowed um, our life circumstances and maybe even God's inability or seemingly inability to respond causes us to stop praying as much. I hope and pray. I pray that our Father and our God, through the grace that he gives us through his son Jesus, would allow us to resurrect dead and dormant prayers that we've allowed to to truly um, see as non- Um, insignificant or null and void. This is the three desires I have for us as we go into the text. Look with me in verses seven and eight with with this reminder of who our God is. He's infinitely strong. He's infinitely righteous. He's infinitely good. He's infinitely wise. And he's infinitely loving. Verse seven reads, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." Now, first, notice the invitation. Jesus' invitation are those who ask, seek, and knock. He tells those who ask, seek, and knock that they will be, they will be able to enter into his, his kingdom. He, he has invited those who ask, those who seek, those who knock. He says those people will be invited to enter into his kingdom. Notice whom he has invited. Look with me in verse, verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Let's underline that word, everyone, if you feel comfortable in your Bible or circle it on um, the program that was given to you when you first came in. This word, everyone, is um, talking about um, the children of God. It's, it's not just talking about the children of God, but it's talking about those who have placed their dependence, their faith, their trust in God, in, and specifically through the son, the, their son Jesus. It is not a qualifier just to anyone and everyone, 
but it's a qualifier to those who have truly given their lives and literally have their foundation built upon the only foundation that is worthy to stand upon, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now, I qualify that to say that a lot of times we can think that this is only referring to the children of God, and I think it does. But there are times, like all of us, when we weren't saved and we cried out to God for mercy and he found us, amen? There's an opportunity and there's a way in which God responds to the brokenness of his people. I love how um, Psalm 51 verse 17 um, puts it in in that great Psalm that David wrote after his um, encounter with Bathsheba. He says these words in verse 17. He says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. He says, you, God, will not despise a broken and humble heart before you. I love this. God will not turn his heart. You, do you want to attract the presence of God? Do you want God to, to, to draw near to you? The scriptures tells us that God will not despise, meaning he will not turn away from a broken heart before him. What Jesus invites us to to an attitude of brokenness. He invites us to an attitude of seeing him as being our all-sufficient and all-sufficient Savior as he already is. Notice what he's invited us to. Look with me also um, in verse 7 and 8. He invites us to do something very specific in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. I love this because for me, this reminds me of a slow-down spirituality. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. He's saying, slow down and enjoy me. He's inviting us to three things. One is dependence upon God. The second thing is to have trust in God. And the third thing is to have gratitude towards God. Dependence upon God, trust in God, and dependence towards God. Notice this. If we have dependence upon God, what does that look like? It looks like us asking. It looks like us going to the source where we know that every good and perfect gift comes from, as James 1.17 tells us. If you depend on God, you should ask him. What does trust look like? Does trust just look like you just Go out to anybody on the street and ask them to tell you your life story and to kind of tell you your future. No, trust is you go to a particular person, and if you can't find that person, what do you do? You seek them. You look for them. You go out because you know that that person has information. That person is not just a giver of good information. That person is good, and the information they give is good, and I need that person, so I seek them. Last thing he brings us to this in this slow-down spirituality is gratitude. Gratitude towards God. Not only are we asked to ask uh, ask God to depend on him, not only are we asked to trust in him, to seek him, but gratitude looks like knocking. Gratitude looks like, God, you have been faithful before, and because you've been faithful before and you've never, you've never, um, but you've never not provided for me, I'm going to always come and knock. And I'm going to keep on knocking, God, because I know where my bread gets buttered, and I know where my provision comes from. You may not answer me today, but in your own time, in God, you're going to answer me because I have gratitude in my heart. I know you're going to make it. I don't know how high you're going to make it, but God, you're going to make it. So I continue to knock. Slow down spirituality. Dependence upon God calls us to ask. Trust in God causes us to seek. And lastly, a gratitude, a gratitude towards God 
causes us to knock. Soldier, church family, beloved, don't get weary in knocking. Don't get weary in knocking. Because what's most important is not just your knocking. The most important thing is that you are knocking on the right door. You're knocking on the door of a God who's infinitely righteous. You're knocking on the door of a God who's infinitely wise. You're knocking on the door of a God who's infinitely good. This is what Jesus wants us to see. He doesn't just want you to, he's not just calling us to an action, he's also calling us to an attitude, an attitude. I told you the story two weeks ago about my son and him ringing on the doorbell. And I told you about him ringing the doorbell because he knew that the more he rang on that doorbell, the more he knew that hopefully his good father, hopefully me as a good father um, that I often fail at, um, but I try to live up to at the same, in the same regard, um, would hear him and respond. When you think of this verse, think of that, think of Elliot. Think of my son running to the door. House dark. No one looks like they're in there, but he keeps ringing. He keeps ringing because he knows that if his father hears him, he will respond. I love the different levels that Jesus gives us here. Ask, seek, knock. Because if you are a child and you are hearing this, this will give you great comfort because it lets us know that even as children of God, there are different seasons in which we go through. If you are in a season where everything is good with God and you feel like you have a close relationship with him and you feel like there's no hindrance or there's no barrier between you and God, ask him. Ask your father because he's a good father. If a child was in a home and they couldn't find their father, they knew he was in a house, but they, didn't, they couldn't find him, what would they do? They'd go seek him. They'd go look for him because they know that what they need only could come from him, so they will seek him in that house. If you haven't, um, seems like there's a distance between you and God. Maybe you haven't been praying as much. Maybe you haven't been um, as close to him or you don't feel his connectivity today. The, the, the answer and the response that we have and the, the scriptures have for you is to seek him. Seek him and you will find him. Lastly, if, if he's nowhere to be found and maybe he's behind a closed door, he's in the study somewhere studying or he's doing some type of um, carpentry work in the house and you can't find him, but when you finally do find him, he's behind a closed door, then what should you do? You should, you should knock and, and say, Daddy, it's me. I know I, haven't, I know I haven't come to you. I know I haven't knocked on the door in a long time, but Daddy, it's me. It's your child. I'm coming once again. You haven't heard from me in a long time, Daddy, but, but here I am. I'm knocking once again knowing that he will respond as a good father. Regardless of where you are, what I love about this verse is that it says everyone, everyone who depends on Jesus can find satisfaction and source in him. Regardless if you're close enough to ask, regardless if you're far enough to seek, regardless if it feels like there's a barrier between you and God, every situation you're in, and regardless of how you depend on God, there is an answer for your situation. Ask, seek, Knock. This is what he calls us to. This is what he invites us to. But why does he invite us to this? Why does Jesus invite us to do this? Remember, he's not just inviting you to an action. He's inviting you to an attitude. And we'll see this in verses 9 through 11. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. Find these words. 
Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Verse, yes, we'll stop there. Verse 11. In these short passages of Scripture, what Jesus is doing is that he's revealing three things. He's revealing the heart of prayer. He's revealing the heart of God. And lastly, he's revealing the heart of man. He's uncovering some things. He's helping us to see why we need to ask, seek, and knock. Again, Jesus is not just calling you to do something. He's calling you to be someone. He's calling you to an attitude. He's calling you to a disposition. He's calling you to a mindset. And he gives us the answers of, the, of why he's calling us to those mindsets in verses 9 through 11. Notice with me in the first one in verses 9 and 10. The question comes up, who among you, if his son asks for him a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? Now, in this time, this context, there are a lot of, there are a lot of stones that look like bread. And I'm not a fisherman, but if you guys are fishermen, I would love to go learn how to fish with you once I get here. Hold me to that. Um, that's not where I'm comfortable at, but I want to learn. I want to grow. Um, a lot of fish that they would get out of the Sea of Galilee or the local ravines and water sources could look like a snake. So what he's saying here is that our God is not deceptive. He's not going to give you something that looks like something else and then say, aha, I don't know why you took that. You should have known better. Our God is trustworthy. He, the thought is this. If earthly fathers give their, their sons needs, what their son needs, will not God give his sons what they ask for? The first thing we see about, the first thing we see of why we should ask, seek, and knock is because our God is generous. He's a generous God. He's a God who loves to lavish his children with good things. He loves to, to give you not just good things, but what's best for you. Here's our problem. We like to settle for what's good in life. We like to settle for what's easy in life. We like to settle for, honestly, sometimes the bare minimum. Just keep things floating, God. I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be out. And God is saying, no, no, I don't want you to float. I want you to thrive. I want you to thrive. Because I've died so that you may have life, but you have, may have life more abundantly. Ephesians 3 puts it this way. It says, our God is able to do more than you can ask or think. There are a lot of things in this, in this room right now. There's a lot of people in this room that can ask God or think about good things for God. But God says, I can do exceedingly and abundantly above what you even ask or what you even think. This is who, the God whom is inviting you to ask, to seek, to knock. He's not a God who just wants you to get by. He's not a God who just wants you to have bare minimums or just kind of have the scraps of the floor. He's saying, listen, I've created a feast, and this feast is for you and the children who depend upon me. Come and feast at the table and be provided for. Our God is generous. But we do have a problem when we read this text, right? The problem is this. What do we do when our prayers are deferred? James, you don't know. I've been asking, I've been seeking, I've been knocking, 
for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years. I've been, I've been asking. I've been knocking. I've been, I've been doing everything you're saying, James. But there still is a delay. What do we do? This verse here in verse 7, when it says, ask and it will be given, seek, you'll find, knock and the door will be open. It, 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 it means something and it doesn't mean something. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when you ask, you'll receive the very thing that you asked for. It, it doesn't mean that you'll receive it at the exact time when you asked for it. And it also doesn't mean that you will receive it in the precise way that you ask God to receive it. Amen? But what it does mean is this. It means that when we seek, when we knock, and when we ask, when we pray as needy children dependent upon our good heavenly Father, looking away from our own personal resources to find our trustworthiness in him, he will hear us, he will, and he will give to us good things. This is the time when we have to turn our eyes to God. And again, not just see God for the things that he can give us, but seeing God as being the giver of every good gift. As James 1.17 tells us. Elizabeth Elliot is the wife of the great missionary Jim Elliot. If you don't know about Jim Elliot, but Jim Elliot was killed in 1956 attempting to make a missionary contact um, in eastern Ecuador with the remote people there. She later, after in her life, she spent two years as a missionary to the, tri the, to the very tribe members who actually killed her husband. And this is what she says in regards to faith. She says this. She says, faith is willing not to have what God is not willing to give. Faith is willing not to have what God is not willing to give. A lot of times we qualify our faith by saying that our faith makes things happen, and it does. I don't want to disqualify that. But it's not just our faith. It's our faith in an all-knowing, all-righteous, all-wise God that makes a difference. Your faith is not just the thing. It's not the ends to a mean. God is the ends to the mean. And because God is the end to the mean, that means God is not, your faith is not just having faith in something. Your faith is about having your faith in someone who is God and who is perfect and who is righteous and who is holy. Faith is not willing, is willing not to have what God is not willing to give. I heard this on the radio and I thought it was helpful. They were talking about life and just how life changes. And I, I needed this word even for myself. But the person on the radio, radio said this. They said, you know, sometimes in life, we create a picture of kind of what we expect. And we hold on to that picture, and we look at our life, and we look at the picture, and to see if it matches up. And the person on the radio was saying, what we need to do is take the picture that God has given us, yes, and look at it, but not in the expectation and not as a qualifier of the goodness of God. Don't let your picture of what you think your life should be be the qualification of a good and holy and righteous God. What she said was, you need to look at the story that God is creating, even though that picture may not, your, your picture may not qualify with your experience. There are a lot of times in life where there are things that happen in our life that is not congruent with the picture that we thought would happen. 
God, I thought I would be different at 36. God, I thought I'd be different at 23. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have children by now. I thought I had grandchildren by now. I thought I'd have so much money saved up by now. And what they're saying is take that picture and yes, look at it, but look at it in the holistic of that God is still creating a story despite the dis- disappointments, frustrations, and even the lack of expectations that God is not maybe not providing your life. God is still creating his story. He's still writing a script and he's still good. It may not be according to your expectations. It may not even be according to your desires, but yet the word of God says that it is good because our God is good and he only knows how to give good things. Jesus here reveals the true heart of prayer. He continues to talk about to reveal the true heart of God. Look with me again at verse Seven and eight, he says this, I mean, excuse me, nine, nine and 10. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a snake? What, what Jesus is reminding us of is that God is not selfish, God is not stingy, and God is not begrudging. But God is a loving father who cares for us, who comforts us, and most importantly, who understands us. So, but here's the problem. Why don't we get everything that we ask, ask, seek, or knock, right? If God understands me, shouldn't he give me what I'm asking for? Shouldn't he give me exactly what, what I'm asking for? Well, no, he shouldn't. <laughs> and, and I know that may come as a surprise, or maybe for some of you not as a surprise, but no. No, we don't get everything we ask for, and guess what? We shouldn't want to. We shouldn't want to get everything we ask for. Only God is infinite. Only God is eternal. We are finite. We are limited even in our very existence. And here's a qualifier. If God gave, did everything that we wanted him to do, then we'd be God, not him. We should not want to be God. We should want God to be God. We should not want God to be our genie. And we shouldn't, got hold, we shouldn't hold God to expectations that we place upon him to say, God, well, if you really are good or if you really are kind, then you'll do this for me. God is not only, God is not only um, an infinite, but God is also infallible, meaning that he is without error. He's without mistake. But we are fallible. We are the ones who cause and, and, and have mistakes in our life. Only God is infinitely wise. And as a result, he knows exactly how every decision will turn out and what the next events will be in our lives, let alone in history should be. Our God is not only infinite, but our God is also infallible. He is error free. There's no wrong wrong sitting with God. There's no evil with God. Sometimes he gives just what we ask for. Sometimes he gives, gives us just when we ask for it. And sometimes he gives us things just the way we desire for it to be given. Sometimes it kind of works like that. But other times he gives not what you ask for, but he gives you something better. I've been having you guys go with me through this house hunting situation that me and my wife are going through. And if you don't know by now, we are on our third house in the last three months. Buying a house out of state is not easy. I don't recommend it, recommend it to anyone to do that, but we are crazy enough to do it coming in from New Jersey. 
Um, time and time again, I remember the second house that we saw. Many of you, we showed you the house, and it was a beautiful house. We loved the house. We thought it was wonderful. But when we got in the house, we started to notice things. Um, we started to notice that the house didn't, on paper, right, on, on video or on camera, it was set up perfectly. But when we went into the rooms, the rooms just seemed kind of small. And we went into the basement, it just like, oh, we could probably have a, a fourth bedroom for guests. We don't have a fourth bedroom for guests. We don't have different um, um, places to just have our kids play. When we looked at the foundation of the house, the foundation of the house was off, and um, there were other just qualif- qualifiers that just didn't match up. And I got to the point, I remember just being in the house with my wife. We were, my wife was crying. I'm upset that she's crying because I'm trying to provide her a house. I'm like, well, why aren't you happy? And she's like, well, this house just doesn't fit right. And I'm like, well, why doesn't it fit right? And we're going through this, this banter. And I remember leaving that house feeling so discouraged because I was like, God, I thought this is what you wanted. And he looked at me and says, no, that's what you wanted. <laughs> that's what you asked for. Ask me for what I want to give you. So I went, I went to my prayer closet. I said, hey, God, what, what do I need? And honestly, a lot of things that we didn't see in the first, that house, a lot of things that we wanted in our house, that's what I started to ask in the second house. Well, God, you know, it'd be good if we had a fourth bedroom. And God, it might be good if we have a little kitchenette, you know, so I can, you know, throw some ribs on the grill or something like that, you know, on the weekends and have the friends over, maybe a little spades table. We can play some spades on, on the weekends, you know. So I started dreaming a little bit. And guess what? The third house we saw, it was something better. It, it, was, it, it was almost like God showed me the box I was putting him in and then show me all the room that he had that he wanted to give me above and beyond what I, even what I had expectations for myself. A lot of times that's what we do with God. We put him in a box. We say, God, you can only do this because I only expect you to do this. And God is saying, no, I can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you can ask or think. I'm God. There's no other. I have no equal. Who are you going to ask beside me? And if anyone's going to give you something, they're going to give it to you because of me, not because of them. This is the God we serve. And this is the God that Jesus is trying to reveal to us. That he's a God who gives good things and only good things. He doesn't give serpents to his children. Now consider this. Consider this looking at verses 9 and 10. What if the child asks for a poisonous snake? Do you think that a wise father would have granted his request? No. No. If, if, a, if a child asked for a poisonous snake, if a wise father wouldn't answer that request. You know why? Because not only is our God generous, but our God is good. And sometimes God knows that what we're praying for is a snake, and he doesn't give it to us. He doesn't give us what we ask for, even if we persist in our prayers. But as we begin to see God as, as for who he is, as we begin to see God for how he's revealed himself in the scriptures, we learn to ask for those things that are best for us and not simply for those things that are acceptable or simply good. I, want, I pray and I ask, church, that we would be a people who pray to a God that we know who can do exceedingly and abundantly anything we can ask for. Let's not limit God in our prayers and our expectations of him. He is good. And his righteousness rules throughout all generations. He's good because, not because of what he does for you, he's good because that's the very character of who he is. He can't be anything else. Notice with me, verse 11, Jesus reveals the heart of man. He says this, if you then who are evil, again, I actually circle that word evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your father in heaven give, give good things to those who ask him? Notice what happens here. Jesus um, automatically assumes, as, we, as the theologians call, inherited corruption. Meaning that because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve's sin from the very beginning, our very instincts and our very desires are counter to the very goodness and, and the very goodness of God himself. That, that, that our image is damaged but is not destroyed by the fall. It means two things. It means that we, act, we lack spiritual good before God, that there's no good that we can do to ever merit God's love towards us. I love what Isaiah 64, 6 says. It says, all of us have become like something unclean, and all of our righteous acts, all of our best acts are like a polluted garment, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. Romans 3.23 puts it this way, for we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 6, verse 5, um, reports this way after Isaiah sees God in the fullness of his holiness. He says, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, dwelling among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So not only, not only are we not able, we lack spiritual good before God, but also we're unable, unable to do spiritual good before God. We're not unable to do the things that God would have us to require to do. I love how Isaiah 53, 6, 6 puts it. It says, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. Isaiah 1.18 says it this way. God says, come, let us settle this. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. So here's the problem. We're good, but we're not God. We're good. We were just talking about this morning, this morning Sunday school class, um, and Norm did a great job leading this morning. We were talking about this very concept, that we are good, right? We, we can do good things. But here's the qualifier. Even in us doing good things, we do good things in order to resist even the evil that, that pushes against that very, that very, that very goodness we want to do. He's saying, listen, <clears throat> As earthly fathers, we don't do good because we are good. We actually do good in, in the suppression of evil. We, 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 even, in the tense, even when we do good things, there is evil, there is, um, there is uh, other things besides pure goodness and, and pure motives that are attached to it. Next week is Father's Day. Great day to celebrate. I'm glad about it. I'm, I'm, I'm already getting my list together. I'm like, yeah, let's... Now, can I get a grill, get a new car? I don't know. I'm going to get some. I will get something. But even in your giving, right? Even in your giving, yes, you want to honor your dad. But you may have a dad that if you don't give him something, you're going to hear about it. I'm going to give my dad something so I don't hear from him because he's going to talk about it all year about how I didn't give him something. Or I want to give him something. I want to give him something, and I want to make sure it's good because if it's not good, he's going to talk about me all year because it wasn't that good. But even in our giving, even in our wanting to give, there are qualifiers to how we give even as human beings. Evil here is not the full presence of evil. It's not saying that you are the absolute worst that you can be. But what it is saying, it is saying that evil is the, is the absence of absolute goodness. It's the, absolute, uh, it's the absence of absolute goodness in the heart of those who give. And Jesus is saying, you, 
Kentucky, y'all have it best, because in the Greek, this word you is y'all. I love that, y'all. I can't wait to start using that word, y'all, uh, when I come down here. Y'all. I love that. Seriously, I do. Um, one of the reasons why I came back down here, say y'all. It says, verse, verse 11, for you then, y'all, for y'all who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Notice the qualifier that Jesus is saying. He said, if you know how to give good gifts, even though that's not your heart's attention, how much more will God give you good gifts when that is, that is his heart attention? That there's no darkness, there's no evil in him. There's no um, him trying to trick you or trying to cause some type of, um, get you in some type of trap or anything like that. God is good and everything he gives is from a good heart and a good posture and it's for your flourishing, even if, it doesn't match your expectations. Even if it doesn't match your timeline. Even if it causes you to be persistent in looking to him for the answer. He's still good. And he still causes us to see his goodness in this way. So not only is our God revealed the heart of prayer, the heart of God, but he also finally he reveals the heart of man. He shows that we do have um, evil hearts and that evil is not the full presence of evil, but it's the absence of absolute good, goodness in this way. So how should we pray? Why should we pray? We should pray because of three things. One, because our God is generous. He's a, he's a generous God and he will give you more than you can ask or think. Not only should we pray because he's generous, we also should pray because he's good. There is no hint of evil in him. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And lastly, we should give because he is gracious. He is gracious. He gives to those who actually don't deserve it, who don't deserve the very good gifts that he gives. He's a gracious God. Look with me in verse 12. Verse 12 reads this way. It says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophet. There's a conundrum here because Jesus calls us evil, yet we're also called as children. It's a conundrum. The, the logic says that God will give us good things as his children because he has already given us the gift to become his children. You see, if God, has freely, uh, if, if God has freely made us his sons and his daughters, how much more will he give us what we truly need? This is the great reversal that's happening here. Because in this verse here, it says, notice what Jesus says um, in verse 12. Um, Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. Jesus wasn't the first to come up with this notion, but he's the first to put this notion in this perspective. There are other thinkers and philosophers who came up with similar notions, but they didn't come from the positive side of this thing. They actually came from the negative side, and they would say things like this. Don't do unto others what you don't want them to do unto you, or what you hate that others do to you, avoid doing to others. This sentiment was commonplace, um, was a commonplace ideology in Jesus' time, but Jesus changes it to be more positive. And this is what he says. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. What he's calling us to, again, is not to an action, but an attitude. He's calling us to imitate to the world 
the grace that God has already given us in Christ Jesus. He's saying, as much as you receive grace from God, and as much as you are evil and, and you have even a tent in your heart that is not purely um, good and righteous, even though that is still lying in you, God still gives you free and good, good, good things, even in your depravity. He's saying, look to this depraved world and do the same. Look to this community, look to one another, and look to those who may not deserve your grace, and they may not deserve your mercy, and give, not because they deserve it, but give because our Heavenly Father has given you those gracious gifts um, without qualm or without prerequisite. He calls us to imitate to the world the same way that he responds to us, that we are broken and frail, that we are separated from God, but in Jesus, he has created, um, uh, he has become the mediator in order for us to be reconciled back to God in holiness and righteousness. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Why? Because God has already done unto you what, he, what you cannot do for yourself. This is the qualm, and this is what God calls us to in this way. He says, the last, lastly in verse 12, he says, for this is the law and the prophets. Simply what that means is, it sums up the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament can be summed up in this verse right here. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and praise you. We do look to you with great joy. Father, you are the righteous king. You are our good and heavenly father. I pray that you would help us to see you for who you are, as righteous and good and holy, as loving Father, I do also pray in the same breath that you would help us to reveal who you are, that, God, you are gracious, that you are good, Father, that you are generous. God, I, I pray, as I said in the very beginning, I pray that our view of God would help us to pursue you with an even greater fervency. Our view of God truly does determine our pursuit of you, so help us to view you rightly, God. Help us to see you how you revealed yourself in Scripture and not just how we think you to be. Secondly, God, I ask that you would resurrect. You would uh, resurrect dead prayers, dormant prayers, that you would help us to see, Father, as your children, we have every right to ask, to seek, and to knock at the door of salvation. And Father, I, finally, I do pray, Lord, that you would help us to see you, um, the things that you give us, not as being as great as you. Father, you are the great giver. I pray that we would worship and honor you and not simply the good things that you give us, Help us, Lord, to see you in this way. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.